Hi, everyone. My name is Alan Sardana. I'm uh, with Seamless MD, and today we're joined by a very special guest, uh, Dr. Joshua Liu, the co founder and CEO of Seamless MD. A little fun fact before Josh talks uh, he actually has everyone in the office call him Dr. Joshua Liu, and you can't, you can't call him Josh or anything else. <laughs> so, so Alan just lost all credibility because he, he made stuff up at the very start of our first episode. So, I mean, the truth is that like Alan and I were talking the other week and we thought, hey, like we think it would be great if number one, there's something I guess else to do during the pandemic. But two was we think it's great if we can, you know, share more of our, our company's culture and personality with, you know, our customers or partners, the rest of the world. And um, you know, we're obviously very deep in, in digital patient engagement and digital health, and we're learning a lot, and, and maybe we can share some insight of what we're learning to the rest of the world. Any technology company, any um, product that this industry is implementing, it, it's running on people. and People are kind of the backbones behind um, what makes a successful tech company and what makes a successful product. Um, and I think a lot of the people and the diversity that the team brings is, is sort of what we wanted to highlight on this show. Um, so that you know the industry can get to know who is Seamless MD and, and who are the people uh, behind the company that really make the company uh, what it is. Definitely, and and, and for sure, Alan. Probably the the third thing. Uh, if we're on three now, I'm not. I haven't been counting properly. But uh, obviously, you and I have really really amazing conversations, and and we felt it, you know it would it wouldn't do the world justice if no one else could could watch our our riffs and our conversations. Exactly. Right? So. Yep. Totally agree. <laughs> Where we wanted to take this first episode, at least, is um, really understanding, you know, who is Seamless MD? What is Seamless MD and how did it start? What's the journey been like? Um, without throwing a thousand questions uh, to you all at once, um, I'm, I'm curious if you can kind of maybe summarize the journey so far, but maybe more importantly, where the genesis of the idea came from and, and who was involved in, in that sort of uh, area for the, for the beginnings. Yeah, and so maybe I'll start by saying, Alan, you know, one of the, I think the neat things about our team is that um, just like a team in a hospital or a health system, we're also very uh, interdisciplinary. So, I mean, Alan, actually, and we got we got an interview at some point about your your favorite film. So actually, Alan, he's in marketing now, but he was an, a you know, film major in school. And, you know, um, we have folks in our team who come from many different disciplines, um, but actually a quarter of our team are, are people from the, the clinical world. And so I came from the clinical world myself. Um, I did uh, my med school training here in Toronto. And as I went through med school, uh, a lot of my, my friends knew what they wanted to do. You know, they knew they wanted to be a cardiologist or a family doctor. Um, I didn't have that clarity. And, um, and by the way, now I kind of think that that's very much okay. Um, but at the time, you know, I felt lost. Uh, but I had these great mentors at, at uh UHN or, or Toronto General Hospital for those who are familiar and they said Josh you know what um, come spend a summer with us um, learning about quality and patient safety and specifically I ended up doing work at the hospital on understanding readmissions mm -hmm. and uh, I became really really passionate about that problem space and I started thinking geez you know shouldn't there be a way to you know monitor a patient and prevent a readmission um, and that was kind of midway through med school. Um, I kind of parked that idea for a little bit. Um, but in my third year of med school, um, I started getting interested in like startups and technology. I don't remember exactly why, Alan. I just think it was starting to pop up in you know the world around me. Mm -hmm. And I had two friends from class who were interested in just like starting something together with me. 
And so we had all kinds of ideas of problems that we saw in healthcare. And then we actually tried building a completely different healthcare uh, tech company than Seamless uh, when I was in third year. So it, it was this an app as well? Uh, didn't quite get that far. Okay. Uh, but, but basically the idea that we had was like, uh, when a patient goes and sees a doctor, um, you know, a lot of time is spent um, answering a bunch of questions about like their medical history and, and why they're here for the visit. And then the doctor has to like, you know, document all of that and so forth. And so we thought, oh, like what if a patient could like pre-fill out an intelligent questionnaire about their symptoms and why they're at the doctor's office. And then we could just automate that story to the doctor before the visit and then the doctor could just read it and they go, Oh, I know exactly what's going on or at least have a better idea. And then maybe your visit is like, takes half the time instead. Um, and then the, and then the doctor could see more patients during the day and we built like a pitch deck and we, um, like had screens, like mock-ups and screenshots and stuff like that. Um, but we actually never built a prototype and we gave up probably four or five months later. And, uh, you know, I bring this up because I feel like too often people only hear about the, um, the successes and the things that have worked out. And like most people don't realize that I've tried starting something else that failed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but one of my challenges, Alan, was that we were all like clinical people, mm-hmm. you know, none of us, uh, were in software or business. And so, um, I just feel like we were missing a lot of, uh, important complementary skill sets mm-hmm. that if I had back then in a team, what we have at seamless, maybe we would have built that company. I don't right. know. I figured that that company would have probably been up against uh, major EHRs and, and that kind of competition space. Cause I, I imagine that's the kind of um, pre-screening that can be done now through something like my chart, for instance, and, and maybe. Oh yeah, you're, you're right. Like we, we, you know, I, if I kept to it, we'd probably be the number, World competitor epic right now. Right, right. I yeah. totally missed the boat, Alan. You're totally right. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I you're absolutely right. I think something else that's interesting that um, I know about you, um, even before, well before Seamless MD and, and even before that company, I think you've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and I, I've heard stories even through um, whether it was university or, or high school, I know that you were always kind of looking for where can you add value to whatever. Um, industry you were a part of or student body community that you were in um, was that just kind of natural to you because I know you're saying you know you almost didn't know what you wanted to do in in your schooling but it seemed like that entrepreneurial kind of drive was always there I like how you you really framed it from a very noble perspective of like Josh seems like a person always adding value to his community um, which which I appreciate I mean, the truth is that, uh, like, uh, um, I'm just, I like building stuff. And I think I'm the kind of person where I need to keep doing something different mm. to be engaged and excited. Mm. And so one of the things I like about, like, entrepreneurship or, or building, like, like, early on in my life was, like, you know, building nonprofits at school and things like that is um, as, as you grow and build a project or an organization, you, you keep having to uh, come across like new obstacles, um, new challenges. And then that, that continuous learning you have to do keeps me engaged and excited. Whereas I think one of the challenges I had with day-to-day medicine, for example, was that um, you end up becoming an expert at your craft by becoming really good at something. But I'm, I think kind of like you, I like being more of a generalist who kind of has different adventures and 
forced to learn different skills all the time. I think that's really important for a startup in particular um, to, to figure out all the different moving parts and, and needing to wear all these different hats to get the job done. Um, oh, Alan, can I, can I give you a really cheesy like healthcare analogy to that, to that of idea? Of course, yes. So, I mean, you're right. So like in a company, like we need, um, and I actually, I really like the idea of like to build a really great company organization. It's like a, it's like a sports team. It's like every sports team, like you have different roles that the team plays and everyone has to be like really good at their role so the team can, you know, win a game or win the championship. And then and like in our team, Alan, right, we need people like you who are like experts at marketing and experts at sales and um, customer success and patient education and, and you know human resources, right, for the team to be high performing and successful. And I think one of the neat things that's changed in healthcare is that with the shift to like value-based care, um, and now the whole healthcare team has to care about the outcome of a patient, like, you know, both clinical, but also financially, um, they have to think of themselves as like a high performing interdisciplinary team. So like, you know, you not only have to work together, but like you have to start kind of thinking outside your siloed role. So mm-hmm. now you have physicians who are, uh, you know, experts in quality and patient safety, or even like digital patient engagement right. because like you all have to work as a team in a new way to achieve like a, a better outcome together. Um, and I think that's, so we're, we're, I, my point is that like that's historically, I think not existed as much in healthcare, but now it really does and it has to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think even, you know, with the advancements in technology, that continuous learning for everyone, for physicians is still so vitally important like if you look in the cardiac space with TAVRs now becoming more and more prevalent and all these uh, cardiac surgeons who now have to relearn certain skills so that they can still be competitive in, in, the, in the future as well. Um, I'm curious about mentors because I know that um, in order to get to where you are today and even back in your residency, there was people who were almost mentors for you. Uh, and I think that had a really integral part in building Seamless MD as well. Yeah. So just to touch on the mentorship. So when I was you know, doing that work on readmissions, my mentor's name was uh, Howie Abrams. He was the head of internal medicine uh, at UHN. And he's the one who got me inspired to uh, focus on how do we prevent readmissions? Because I was, I was his kind of focus at the time. And he kind of imparted that, that interest on me. And, and, um, um, and I think from there, um, when I got to my fourth year of med school, um, I still had the itch to build something. Cause again, like I, I just mm-hmm. love building stuff and working a team and, but I knew I didn't have, uh, the people around me who had different skills than me to do that. And Josh, did you want to go into internal medicine? Was that your focus at that time? So actually what happened was I was seriously considering internal medicine cause I, I loved, that was actually one of the specialties I actually really liked like intellectually mm-hmm. or just out of interest. Um, but I actually applied to family medicine in my last year, um, mostly because it would allow me to have the flexibility, I think, to pursue other interests right. like a seamless MD. So I, I always thought that I would maybe do something like seamless MD maybe 10 years after I finished my training. Hmm. It just so happened that with, you know, meeting Willie and Phil and, and going through um, that next 36 incubator in my last year of med school where we met and then we started seamless MD, that kind of just, you know, changed my course and uh, I was fortunate to be able to work on something like Seamless you know, 10 years earlier. Mm. Sorry, I cut you off right in the middle of your story, but um, you were focused on readmissions uh, and then it was your last yeah. year. So, so this is a fun story. So um, for those people who don't know, like uh, 
called the Next 36. It's a local incubator here in Toronto. And what they did at the time was they would bring people together who didn't know each other, and who but who wanted to meet others like-minded who wanted to start a, a tech company together. They bring you together and they give you mentorship and like seed capital to get started. And by the way, I think generally it's a, it's a bad idea in the sense that generally um, bringing randoms together to start a company often doesn't work because you need to have the right chemistry. So usually you're starting a company with people that you know and that you you've had a working relationship with, but um, you know, uh, Willie had a background in computer science and he actually is interested in healthcare for a long time. And then Phil was an, an engineer and he, um, really cared about building a business that had social impact. And so that was kind of, I think why the three of us, um, you know, worked out so well. Um, but what happened was when you come to this incubator, um, in the first 24 hours, they tell you, look, tomorrow you're going to do a five minute pitch of a business that you're going to come up with over the next 24 hours and uh, see you tomorrow. Um, and so, you know, basically and you were put into groups at this point, you had already been put into the group. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We went through a whole interview process and based on, on interviews done by like, you know, very seasoned entrepreneurs and business people, they, um, they basically guessed which groups of like two or three would work well together. And so, right. yeah, I mean, Philly and I basically, we met each other beforehand, but they basically forced us to work when together, which is I totally think, not normal. I think there was also a funny story, um, cause you're talking about chemistry between the founders and, and that's super important. I think I've heard a story before where Willie actually, um, before you guys had met formally, had communicated on this forum through the the next 36 program and i think he didn't like you or there was something there where uh yeah 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 so um before you go through the interview process where you meet everyone in person and stuff like that there was an online community that the incubator set up where um every everyone had to post a couple of ideas for business ideas and then um other people had to comment and get feedback on it just to kind of generate, you know, discussion and community going into this whole interview process. And Willie had posted a number of different healthcare technology ideas. And I was just like, um, I guess overly critical mm. of every idea he posted. So I would post all these things that were about like, like leveraging my clinical background, like here's why this won't work in healthcare. Right. And the funny thing is that like, if I were to do that today as like, you know, being in the business, I'd have a different mindset. Like I'm now more like, well, how do we make it work? Right. But back then I was just like, oh, like healthcare is so hard to, to do stuff in. So this is why it won't work, right? Right, right? And then apparently at the time, Willie was like, in his head, he was thinking, well, like who's this jerk who keeps like crapping on all my ideas, right? Um, and I didn't know that at the time because I remember like when I met Willie in person during the interview, my first thought was like, oh, I really like that guy. I want right. to work with him, right? And then actually, as part of the selection process for the groups, you're allowed to like rank of everyone you've met, who are the top five people you want you would want to work with and who are like the bottom five, right? And Willie and I actually ended up strategizing, hey, we both like each other. Let's rank each other like number one. Right. And I had no idea that he had hated me prior to meeting right, right. me. Um, you know, I, I told uh, you but, later. Yeah, you know, the whole story around that. <laughs> so then you had to prepare this pitch so at that time with Willie, Phil, and yourself, was that Seamless MD or? Yeah. So you know what? Like I, I went in there with the intention of like building a healthcare company. Like that, that was my honest intention. And I think that if I was in a team that didn't want to do that, um, I probably wouldn't have been as engaged. Right. 
Um, and we went through a number of ideas, but at some point in the evening, I'm pretty sure I brought up like, Hey, you know, like there's this like big readmissions problem that I've been studying for a while. I, I don't think that was the first thing I mentioned. I think I was trying to find some other, maybe more easily understood ideas or, or more, you know, generally acceptable ideas. But at some point I brought up, Hey, like I've been working on this readmissions problem. It's big, it's costly. You know, what could we do about it? Um, and so the next day, we basically pitched a remote patient monitoring system to pre prevent readmissions for heart failure. Hmm. Um, and I mean, we have prevented readmissions with seamless MD, although what's interesting is that even though we started off with uh, a plan to tackle heart failure first, we actually didn't start with heart failure after talking to the market, which we can get into at some point if you want, mm -hmm. Alan. But um, but to some extent, what we do at Seamless is still really similar to what we kind of pitched uh, on day one. Yeah. And I, and I think even more so today, because as we're branching into heart failure and we're tackling those projects now, I think uh, it's kind of done a whole 360 all the way back to the beginning pitch. Yeah. yeah made, which is full circle. Really neat. I, I think I, I'm curious, and I, I'm sure our listeners are curious, how did you pivot into surgery then? At what point did you focus on that? Uh, as opposed to heart failure or other chronic conditions? Yeah, so, you know, as part of uh, the customer discovery process, we spent months just interviewing different, you know, physicians and nurses and, and patients in healthcare. And initially, um, because we were looking at heart failure and chronic disease, and that's actually where all my mentors in my network was, that's who we met with. Like I met with all of my mentors and, and all the internal medicine doctors I knew to ask them about like, hey, like what if we were to monitor a patient to prevent a readmission? Like, would you use it? What would, like, would that work? Why or why not? And pretty much every internal medicine doctor I spoke with basically told me, yeah, I wouldn't do this. And like, here are all the reasons why I wouldn't. Hmm. And, and which is funny because I think um, if we had done that same work in the U.S., because at that, because we're in Toronto at that time in the U.S., I think they had just started having like heart failure readmission penalties. Mm. So I think that if we had talked to U.S. Uh, groups, they would have been more on board with the idea. Right. But back home in Toronto, they just also saw all kinds of problems with it. And then one day, one of those internal medicine mentors offhandedly said, "You know what, Josh? Why don't you talk to surgeons? They're more tech savvy. They like they like the the, the latest and greatest toy innovation. Yeah. More interesting." And I was like, okay, that's kind of disappointing, but I'll do that. And so, by the way, like, I didn't know any, I didn't know any surgeons. Right. It wasn't my world. So we just started like cold contacting surgeons in Canada, the U.S. by email, and we would just go on on PubMed and research surgical readmissions, mm -hmm. and be like, oh, this is a problem for surgery right. too. And then we just started emailing surgeons who had published those papers, and and then started having meetings with them, like either in person or virtually, if they're in the U.S. And then I got far more positive feedback saying stuff like, oh yeah, Josh, come work with us. Like we have readmission problems too. And, and like, no one's really done this in surgery before. Right. So I'm like, let's try it. Yeah. And, and at that time, the product was post-op focused and just on readmissions and collecting patient report outcomes, I assume in the, the post-op phase. Correct. So at the very beginning, we were just focused on post-discharge. That's all we did. Um, and I think that that's fine, right? I think when you start, like, it's like a stepwise thing as you evolve the product. So mm -hmm. the beginning, it was post-discharge only. It was just, um, at the time initially on, on mobile, like on your phone mm -hmm. or your tab or your tablet. And then at some point, um, we actually, uh, when we started working with 
Michael Guerin Hospital in Toronto and Dr. Carmine Simone, uh, fantastic thoracic surgeon there. Um, I think through him, we start getting feedback about like, oh, actually, there's all these things that a patient has to prepare for before surgery, all these like protocols and steps that they forget. Like, why can't we guide the patient digitally preoperatively? Mm -hmm. And we said, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> now that you, you explain that to us. And so I think, I think his program was the first to actually use seamless both preoperatively and then post-discharge. Nice. If you can find one visionary like Dr. Carmine, Simone, and Michael Garrett, and you can get him to say yes and say, hey, guys, this is not crazy. This is actually helpful. Like right. maybe we could figure out some you know, workflow issues, but, but it makes sense. If you can find one of them and they're not crazy, which he's not, mm -hmm. you can find five other ones. And then, right. and then you can find five, you can find 10, you can get 10, you get to hundred. So I think it's more like if, if you can find like the first couple, you're onto something um, and you're on something real. It might, it might, the timing might not be perfect. You might need to wait until there's COVID-19 for the world to realize that going digital is, is where things should have been all along in healthcare. Um, but I think it's more like being okay with getting the no and the skeptics understanding why they're skeptical because maybe you do need to reiterate your idea. Right. But oftentimes just finding the first couple who are willing to say yes and, and see the possibility, the upside to it. Um, but yeah, like I think it's just about finding the right, the right person. Right. I like that. Um, I've heard a quote before where um, there is no such thing as failure, just a failure to learn. I think that's pretty applicable in that case. Um, and then speaking of early adopters, enhanced recovery after surgery was kind of at the forefront, um, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago in Europe and, and slowly been moving into Canada and the United States. Um, was that around the time after you did a pilot with Michael Guerin when you started uh, more of an enhanced recovery venture, I think meeting um, some other surgeons out of Montreal or, or Quebec? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's fine. So you're right. So we start off in post-discharge, then we had in pre-op. Um, and we weren't doing anything yet with the in-hospital phase. And then um, I met um, uh, Dr. Leanne Feldman um, from McGill, who's a phenomenal surgeon um, and a leader in enhanced recovery. Um, and for those who, you know, gosh, I hope everyone who watches this knows what enhanced recovery is. But, but if you don't know what enhanced recovery after surgery is, it's, it's uh, a set of uh, standardized evidence-based protocols um, before, during, and after surgery that have been proven to you know, accelerate recovery, shorten length of stay, reduce complications. It's things like getting patients, you know, carboloid before surgery, uh, mobilizing early afterwards, reducing opioids and so forth. And so, you know, McGill, I think, was the, the first um, hospital in North America to implement enhanced recovery protocols. And now they've, they've spread like wildfire across the continent. Um, but I, you know, I met uh, Leanne and um, she taught me about enhanced recovery. I had no idea what it was. Mm -hmm. And she was, you know, showing me how there's all these evidence-based steps that, um, something like seamless would be really helpful for in both, um, increasing compliance with those steps. So making sure the patient like walks every day after surgery and their pain is controlled, but also that they're able to track that data better. So that way we can actually collect from patients data, patient reported outcomes around, you know, what is your pain or, or nausea every day? Um, are you able to mobilize? Are you doing your breathing, your exercises, your leg exercises? Because we know that compliance with each of these patient-oriented steps is correlated with um, faster recovery. 
Right. And so um, Leanne and the team at McGill like opened up our eyes to the fact that there's an in-hospital benefit to Seamless. And so with them, we did, you know, some great studies on, on showing how we can successfully, you know, collect that ERAS compliance data uh, while the patient's in hospital on Seamless. And then after that, we then um, connected our platform. So actually Seamless today, if you want to, you can actually guide the patient before hospital stay, during hospital stay, during recovery, and then post-discharge is one, one experience. Um, but the point was that, like you said, Alan, we iterated that, we grew it based on like listening to you are partners and, and learning from them. And so I've always been grateful to partners like Leanne and, and Carmine because, you know, everything that we know today is founded on the learnings that, that they've shared with us about, about, you know, safe care for patients. Also, you mentioned about um, the technology almost replacing the need for an in-person auditor or somebody actually going around and asking each patient after they've um, have their surgery, you know, have you done this, these steps today? Have you sat up in your bed for X number of hours? Um, was there skepticism around, do patients actually use their phones for that type of thing? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that, that was interesting about how Seamless started is that we kind of almost by chance, um, started by working with patients who were like the oldest, sickest, most complex, and the most likely to have challenges using a, a technology solution. So, you know, we didn't start off doing like ACL repairs and like working with patients who are in their twenties. I mean, because we were targeting, you know, preventing surgical readmissions initially, we were doing like cancer surgery and like um, hip and knee replacement where patients were often 60, 70 or 80. Um, And so from the very beginning, we had to figure out how to engage and be accessible to patients who were older, frailer, didn't generally use technology. Um, but I think that forced us early on to build something that was truly accessible and engaging for all kinds of patients. And, you know, I remember um, when we started working with the, um, the Sunnybrook Holland Center, a big hip and knee replacement center, um, they actually had uh, allowed us to come in and sit next to patients um, who were, who've had a total joint or waiting for one. And so they're in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and actually watch them interact with seamless MD prototypes mm-hmm. so that we could see, you know, where did their eyes go? Where did their, their fingers go when they use the product and like, did it make sense to them? Um, so early, early on, like we spent a ton of time with um, real patients, older, sicker, frailer patients and forced ourselves to design experience that they could use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so well, I think one of the things that, that, that I've come to appreciate um, being on the you know, company side is that, um, as smart as we are as like clinicians, there's a lot of effort required to figure out how to design software successfully for patients. And it's not as simple as just having a nice looking product. It's all the little things that we do behind the scenes. And, you know, to this day, this company is still very patient centric. I mean, we, we interview patients weekly, um, to improve the product. And in fact, I mean, Alan, you know, this every Monday as part of our all hands meeting, our, um, Denise, our director of patient education shares three stories about what did patients like about Seamless, and then she shares three stories about challenges patients have had with the program in the past week. And so even though like our program has great outcomes and great engagement, we are still focused on like, there's always ways to make this better for patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, you know, frankly, as a company working on this 24 seven, we have the luxury of doing. Right, yeah. Um... I also think, you know, I've talked with Denise quite a bit and um, her main focus is on health literacy and adult learning and behavioral change. 
And those kind of core values uh, have been almost woven into Seamless MD and what makes it so successful. Um, I think having that background of you know where you're actually sitting with the patients and seeing how they engage with the prototypes and understand you know where they're looking, and then you combine that with the the best practices in health literacy and adult learning. There must be uh, a bit of a science behind that that you figured out now, and there there must be kind of uh, indicators of how a patient would interact with the product. Do you still have some of that skepticism come up about, you know, do patients actually use the technology? And if you do, how do you get around that kind of uh, uh, clinical maybe thought that people may have? Yeah, you know, it, uh, it still comes up every now and then. And I think what's different uh, now versus when we started CMSMD is that we just have um, so much experience um, that we can share with the the providers about like what we've done to tackle that. So I mean, you know, we have you know caregiver uh, enrollment platform as you know, so that way um, a loved one can enroll with patients. About half our patients have a loved one enroll with them and support them on the product. And so if you're you know frailer and older, um, often your spouse or son or daughter is using seamless with or on your behalf. Um, the fact that it's on not just phones, tablets but also computers and the web browser. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a long list that could add on to that, Alan, of course. But the point is that, that like now when partners ask us about like, well, what about our older patients or people actually use this? We have the numbers and the playbooks and the, the methodologies to, to show how we overcome those barriers. And then so it's actually a pretty easy conversation now. Um, mm -hmm. It's a great question. So I think it's still an important question to ask because stuff like CMS is not you know, completely widespread yet, although I think it will be in, in the coming years. Um, but I think now it's like, we have the data, we have the proof points. Um, right. it's a much easier conversation for sure. Yeah. And, and I, I guess I kind of glossed over it, but at what point did it move from just the mobile app to then being on all these different platforms, the web browser and tablets and computers? Uh, pretty early on. I think I would say definitely by within like a year and a half, we were on the web mm -hmm. as well. Um, I think I think they figured out early on that for some of these older patients, they just needed an additional way. In fact, I'll tell you, I remember like we when we sat down next to patients and we watched them use the product, we found that there were some patients who were 80 who had an iPad and, and loved their iPad, but they forgot their iTunes password. Yeah. And so they had to use the web-based version of Seamless because they didn't know how to get into the app store and download the, the mobile version. And so there's all these little things that, that we don't really until you sit next to a patient and, and you watch how they interact and then so we've been been lucky to have that opportunity to you know, sit next to patients and learn these things mm -hmm. i've heard of something called seamless pets before <laughs> what what was seamless pets yeah so um seem <laughs> so in in the first year of the company's life cycle um as we're going through the incubator um, you know, back then, one of the, the sexy things to do as a startup is to like, you know, raise capital from investors, right? And there was a potential investor who um, was like, oh, I really like Seamless. But, you know, what would get me really excited about Seamless is if you provided the same thing to vets and to owners of pets. So that way we could monitor, our, they could monitor our patients after like a, you know, uh, like a pet surgery, I guess, right? Right. And, and also the part of it was like uh, the investor was saying like, oh, it's going to be uh, so hard to sell to like providers and hospitals, longer sales cycles. But if you sell to a vet, it's so much easier. And I think during, I, I think at some point 
during the incubator program when we were running into a lot of obstacles trying to get into conversations with hospitals there was a moment of oh, why don't maybe it's not a bad idea maybe we should just try like being seamless like pets and and sell to vets as like a, a starting point and then and then eventually we'll go from pets to humans right right prevent so, like, pet readmissions not, and yeah, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah preventing pet readmissions and I kid you not, like we bought like seamlesspets.com, I think we bought or seamless vets, something like that. And I even like, we even like contacted like 50 different like vet clinics and yeah. did discovery calls with like vets about where this would create value. And then I think at some point we woke up and realized like, oh my gosh, like, why are we doing right. this? Like no passion behind that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then, and then, and then sometimes you just, you're in like a, a sleep state and you, and you keep doing something like this. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, wait, like that has nothing to do with our mission. Right. Like I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that if you could show that pets are really happy with the product, I'm pretty sure the hospital wouldn't suddenly like be on board with this. So right. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Um, I think one silver lining from that story that um, that I took from is the flexibility of the product. So the technology and how it can be uh, designed for different use cases. So whether it is pets or surgery, um, I think especially kind of relevant today in the, in the COVID-19 world and post-pandemic world as we move forward, I think that flexibility is also being seen uh, because I think um, we've adapted the product to fit what's necessary today. So as surgery centers and as hospitals aim to kind of restart surgery, I know that we're doing a lot of work on that front as well. Um, are you able to talk a little bit about how that product and how that shift has been made to kind of accommodate um, today's patient world and, and population? Yeah, I mean, I think we realized that, um, you know, hospitals are under immense pressure to, you know, restart elective surgery during COVID-19 and they want to do it safely. And, you know, definitely for like cardiac procedures, cancer procedures where patients can't, you know, wait indefinitely, um, but they need to get it done safely. And so what we've done with a number of partners is actually create a, we call it a research surgery, I guess, workflow or tool on the platform where um, patients can get uh, screened preoperatively for, you know, do they feel ready for surgery? Um, if not, why not? If yes, you know, why do they want it now? Um, their comorbidities, so like what's their risk level as a patient? Um, are they having any COVID-19 symptoms or risk factors of COVID-19? And then we collect all that data preoperatively and then we have dashboards for our providers to show, okay, well, um, you know, you can now start uh, flagging which patients maybe um, shouldn't have surgery anytime soon because they're high risk, which ones are lower risk, we should kind of maybe feel like they're safer to have surgery sooner. Um, who's having symptoms of COVID-19? The week before surgery, maybe we should consider, you know, delaying that a little bit until they, we know they don't have COVID-19 or it's resolved. Um, and so, you know, to your point, like what's, what we've done well with the platform release is that we've made it very flexible to kind of quickly um, create and deploy all these kind of novel workflows as needed. And I think that's one of the unique things about, you know, going digital is that like if in the, in the analog world, if you created these workflows, Flows, you then have to like train like a hundred staff members on calling every patient and doing this like by phone. Now it's just we create the workflow. All these patients were already on Seamless MD already. Let's just like deploy that into the, the care pathway. And then all these patients can start getting their COVID 19 pre surgery, you know, readiness screening from, through the Seamless platform. So um, I think we'll find that um, as organizations now are more. Uh, 
engaged to try something mm -hmm. like this, um, they're going to realize how scalable it is. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to be better for patients, better for providers. And it's, uh, um, we, we don't wish the pandemic had happened, but given that it's here, um, we think there's, it's going to help people realize the opportunities um, in, in digital engagement. So um, we're just trying to do our best to support. Yeah. Um, I know anecdotally, there was a, a customer of ours um, who had enhanced recovery and there was a protocol in there that they found wasn't effective in um, reducing SSIs. Uh, and so I know when it came time to changing their enhanced recovery pathway and take that protocol out for patients, they still had all these paper booklets. And so they actually had to go through sticker over every single mention of that in, in all the thousands of booklets that they had. Uh, but then they realized with technology, just like you're saying, it's at scale and it's versatile. So they can just make that change in one place and all the patient instructions are updated automatically. Um, I'm curious, uh, your, your earlier peers, when you, you first made that earlier company and some of your peers in medicine, um, what do they think about the journey so far and, and have, they, um, have they stayed in touch and, and followed up on, on what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think the funny thing is that since I, I, I mean, uh, for those who didn't pick this up, I actually didn't even start residency. So, um, and now, now, now I'm not allowed to go back unless I reapply again. So that they might saved be your spot. I think they saved your spot for a number of years. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, like they saved my spot for over five years and that was very generous of them and I was grateful. Um, but they couldn't, they couldn't just hold that forever, which is, which is fine. Um, I don't know who's going to write me a reference letter now to get back in, but that's okay. Um, honestly, like, I mean, like I've only gotten positive, um, feedback from my peers I went to school with. And I think, but I think part of it too is grass is greener on the other side. Sure. So like when people, when, when, you know, I, you know, peers who were like doing overnight call in residency and like, and you know, wake up at like 5am every day to get to the hospital for six, you know, um, I think oftentimes they look at what we do at Seamless and obviously look at the marketing and they see all the great, you know customer videos and case studies and results and they go oh my god that's so exciting but the grass is green on the other side i mean alan you and i know we, we have our own challenges in the company and obstacles we overcome and it's not all you know um what's the word like dandy fun. all the time Roses, or, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah was it dandy dandy yeah isn't, isn't there is there like a few other words of that phrase like all, <laughs> there's all, probably all, a perfect sentence dandy. here yeah it's just it's escaped my brain it's not all something in dandy anyways um <laughs> But no, but they all love it and they support it. But I think I think they don't realize that like sometimes that we have our own like um, imperfections in, in what we do and, and challenges. Um, and I think obviously sometimes like you know when you're running a, a business like ours, um, there's the grass looks greener on their end too, from my point of view. Sometimes, mm -hmm. um, but no, it's been nothing positive. And I think definitely more than in the past, there are a lot more um, like physicians who want to like get into like technology and and entrepreneurship or, or working at a healthcare tech organization so and i think for example there's a stat that like a, a third of stanford medical graduates now end up at a startup i feel like there's a oh, stat wow. that i've read like that um i don't think that's normal i don't think that's true in most, most med schools but mm -hmm. it's definitely shifting that direction and like i won't name names but i definitely know at least a couple of med school grads who kind of came after me who like they didn't start residency and they just went straight to like McKinsey or something instead. I don't oh, know. Wow. So like the world, yeah. the world's kind of changed there. Yeah. Huh. That's really interesting. So Alan, you know, I, I, I want to be cognizant of, of our time too, because for people who don't know, Alan, and I actually had a plan of like, um, we're going to make these like 15 minute episodes. 
Um, I've had actually a timer here, Alan. And we're, we're a little bit over. I, I started timing, I think, three to four minutes after we started. And so it's at the 42-minute mark. Um, so, I mean, I, I've got 20 hours to kill if you, you want to keep going. But, but. Yeah. I don't. I, I'm, I have a tight schedule today. You have a life. I think, I think this is a great place to end. Um, I think learning a bit more about that SeamlessMD backstory and seeing where we've come from and understanding the diversity of the team and how that's necessary in, in kind of tackling these bigger problems that are um, huge problems in the world and, and big problems within the industry. I think that um, kind of understanding that backstory has really uh, laid the groundwork for where we are today and where we're moving tomorrow. Going forward, so like I think for people, what people would expect, I mean, I mean, we'll be here, but I think we've talked about, we've, I think I'm bringing some guests on, some, you know, some of our, our colleagues at Seamless, some, maybe some of the, you know, friends we have in the healthcare space, clinicians, non-clinicians. Awesome. Well, uh, Dr. Joshua Liu, I had a really great time on this episode. Uh, do on obviously. Yeah. <laughs> want well, to thank you for joining us today. Um, it's been really, really fascinating learning about the background and, and understanding where you came from in your almost past life now and, and how that's contributed to where you are today and, and the company. I, 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 I like how you say that so, so authentically, knowing that most of that stuff you already knew. So, but, but, th but thank you for, for uh, taking the time to. There, there was definitely nuggets in there. I didn't, know, I didn't know a lot of that stuff. There was nuggets in there oh, that, okay, that was new to me too. I really I'm enjoyed that. I appreciate that. That was great. Okay, well, I guess we'll end it here. I think yeah. that's a, a good place. All right, thanks, Alan. Okay. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Yeah, see you.